Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone. All right. Well, welcome everyone to this episode. We are talking about lactobacillus. And as you can probably tell, once again, we are doing this via Skype since we are um, still in the pandemic times (laughs) and socially distancing and not going into a studio quite yet. Yeah, I think cases need to be. I am in my, my home and Rachel is in her office at the brewery with two dogs. Yes. They're my brew dogs. This is how I'm able to brew. I'm actually not able to brew without brew dogs. <laughs> See, this is my secret. And I'm actually, Jeff's running the brew right now. I think Casey's about to get to work, which is nice. So I'm just hanging out. Making, awesome. making Munich Hells. Not nice. a beer with lactobacillus. Hopefully although, not. although, lactobacillus does live on malt. So kind of a beer with lactobacillus, but not really. Right. And humans are like mostly lactobacillus. <laughs> humans are making lacto or are making the beer. So. So what is lactobacillus like exactly? It's a souring organism, right? Correct. It's a bacteria. It's used for a lot of things that we all eat and already know well in our life, like yogurt, milk. <laughs> Uh, sausages it's the major souring organism in uh, fermented foods Is that yes correct? yeah yeah because it's the same um, just like with malt lactobacillus lives on fruit skins on um, you know cucumbers whatever lactobacillus is very very abundant and like I mentioned it is one of the largest bacteria strains that we have in our bodies. So it's, it's, you know, it's on our skin, it's in our systems, it's everywhere. Um, And when used correctly, it can produce really nice, uh, slight, tart, lactic flavors in your beer. And just like food. Right. So, yeah, I I always think of um, like yogurt, kind of like the the way, you know, in, in yogurt or, um, even like cottage cheese, anything like that, where you have kind of that milky liquid that's at the top, yeah. that is uh, lactic acid. So that's that's a lot of times where you're getting kind of that sourness. So I also use lactic acid to balance the pH of my brewing water, and that when you smell it, it smells like yogurt, and that's now, what lactobacillus produces. Are you doing that because you have well water? Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah. not like something you have to do typically to all your brewing water, but if you, uh, but it's option to to balance out that pH. Right, exactly. Yeah, to make sure that I have it in the right pH. So and we have that too. So like lactic lactic acid comes in a kind of looks like glue, kind of, yeah. and comes in a jug. And if I need it to lower the pH of my mash, and I didn't really achieve achieve that with the water salts I was already using, or I had well water like gin, then that could be a good use of lactic acid. Although you do have to be careful with the amount that you're using. 
Um, and then you have Lactobacillus bacteria. Correct. Which is different, but they will do the same things. But they're right. kind of in a different form. But so you right. could buy Lactobacillus pitch from like White Labs, for example. Right. From, or you can get it from yogurt. People have dumped yogurt into their wort. Yeah, the good belly is, is what I see a lot of people use. The good belly? Yeah, good belly is a um, like a probiotic that you can ah. you get it at like Whole Foods or Trader gotcha. Joe's, and uh, that's what a lot of like the milk the funk milk the funkers gotcha. will do ah. is use the good belly as a lacto pitch. Sorry, I gotta do a little okay. <laughs> puppy control. Hey, Dread Dog. But if anybody, um, while Rachel is managing puppies, if anybody is uh, interested in mixed fermentation and things like lactobacillus, I highly, highly recommend, if you're not already, joining the Facebook group Milk the Funk. And um, also check out their wiki. So Milk the Funk has a very, very comprehensive wiki with um, not just mixed fermentation or, you know, funky beer, sour beer information, but information on really anything about brewing. And I find that they're a little bit more up to date on trends, things like that. For example, something like the Oxford Companion is really great, but it doesn't even have an entry for GOSA. Interesting. Yeah, so it's, it, you know, it's, that's, if you're interested in learning more, it is, uh, there's professional brewers in there, but a lot of it is just home brewers. And or I shouldn't say just home brewers. A lot of it is home brewers, but they are really like at the forefront of doing all of those things outside of ale yeast, lager yeast. Yeah. And even the Milk the Funk uh, website is really good. And it has a YouTube video in there from, um, I think it was from like a Master Brewers Association seminar. Yeah. From a lady who uh, I think works for Bells. And she did a, rep- uh, I think she worked for Bells. I have to double check that. But she did a presentation on, on lactobacillus. I started watching it yesterday. It's very science geeky. Like it's all about, you know, starts from the malting from the grain into. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of information, scientific information on lactobacillus that we probably like won't hit on on all today right um but there's a lot of there's a lot of different places you can find it and there's a lot of uses for it one one typically it lowers ph now how much it's going to lower that ph is kind of up to you um when we make sour beer or lactobacillus beer at the brewery at pilot i only use just grain I've never used oh, really? a probiotic. I've never got, bought anything. I've just used um, unmilled grain because lactobacillus lives on unmilled grain. So right. we, we, we mill our grain. We make the wort. Um, I separate the wort from the spent grain. And then we cool it down to about 110, 115 degrees. Mm-hmm. And then I just put unmilled grain into uh, mesh bags and throw it in there for a day. And, oh, that's um, really interesting. That's I was going to ask you because I know that you guys do kettle sours. I've never done a kettle sour, and I was going to ask you. Um, I guess this whole time I just assumed that you either used a lacto pitch or you did like a sigillated malt. So that's really cool yeah. that you guys use just raw grain. Just raw grain. 
And that is a GABF award-winning silver medal beer. Like to, <laughs> like to point out. And then I always use Kolsch yeast with at least the Goza. I, I I mean, I guess I did a Blender Vice. I used Kolsch yeast too. Well, actually, I did use Blender Vice yeast, but I really like Kolsch yeast for it. It's just a really easy, clean workhorse, mm-hmm. and it just leaves like a nice, slight tartness in the beer. And, uh, and then you have your salt and your coriander or whatever. But um, yeah, no, we have great results. I, I get down the pH down to about 3.4 to 3.5 every single time. Wow, and, that's um, really cool. And it's just, it's a lot cheaper because I already have the grain. And, um, you know, I don't have to, one less thing I have to remember to order, which is nice. Right. So that's my secret. But there's lots of ways to do it. And people do great lactobacillus beers many different ways. Um, the general idea, though, is to make your wort and let it sour for 18 to 24 hours to, you know, whatever you, whatever works for your brewery. Right. And a day, anywhere from a day or two is normally fine. Yeah. And that's, I was going to ask you how long about, so do you just continue to take pH readings and wait until it gets in that range? Or do you just kind of go by the so, length of so, time? So, um, you want you need the pH to drop below, like, I think maybe it was 4.5, 4.2 within, like, the first day. Um, like, that needs to happen, that big drop. Right. But, and that also, um, I'll just say really quickly that also you, one of the main reasons you do that is to get that pH below where you have, like, E. coli yeah. and clostridium could, if you're still within a certain pH range, those, like, really, really nasty bacteria. I mean, we've all heard of E. coli and Clostridium. Those could infect your wort since it's not hopped. And so with uh, kettle sour, with something with lactobacillus, that's why Rachel's saying you want to get that pH down really quickly because you don't want it to be in that danger zone. Mm -hmm. And it it normally does no problem. And then, um, then it's, it's pretty much just like, I mean, that happens overnight. I'm not even here. So by like, right. the time I get in here um, the next day, so we'll see. I mash in it on Wednesday, and then I bring it to a boil and knock it out Friday. Okay. So it's, a, it's about a day and a half or, or two days, maybe, to, depending how exactly when I knock out, when I boil, stuff like that. But Right. Um, and that's pretty typical, like um, like I said, as long as your pH is down where you want it, it's not going to go any more further past a certain point, but it you it, the, if you give it a little bit extra time, there is a little bit extra like flavor development that can come along with that. So, and that just really depends on like what works for you, maybe what kind of probiotic you're using, um, um, and you know, it, and and at the same time, it's like you don't want to taste it, <laughs> like don't taste your your wart, like. <laughs> I say flavor development, but that's just like giving a little extra. Don't don't like actually taste it because it's not going to it's bad for you (laughs) to taste that. You need to boil it first. Right. So my rule of thumb is just like if you get down to like three point four, five, six, you're fine. Um, You go get too low, start getting a little bit harsher acidity than you want. Um, And certain certain organisms can't live but below too low anyways. Like I think Brett, for example, ceases to produce under like a pH of like 3.4. 
And so I have to like look that up again. I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe 3.2. But that would be something to take in concern if you're trying to make a beer with Brett and lacto. You don't want to get your lacto too low because then your Brett might not perform well. Right. Or you could even pitch like pitch your Brett later. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess if you were um, doing a kettle sour, then you would probably already have that lacto in there. And also the lacto will start to do its thing in the souring wort before we even boil or add yeast. So like, it's not uncommon to come in and take a gravity and it's gone down like a point or two. Right. Like the lacto is starting to eat some of those sugars. Um, it's not a yeast, it's a bacteria, but it's still consuming some of it, which just lowers the percentage. And that's good. That's okay. And then you just boil your wort and continue on like a normal brew. I actually, right. home brewers, I've had home brewers tell me like, these lacto beers are one of the easiest beers for them to make, um, probably because they can set it for, and forget it and not have such a long brew day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the issue with like, and I've joked with so many people about this before is I always had issues um, getting butyric acid in beers. Like somebody would be like, oh, this yeah. has butyric, this has butyric. And I wouldn't, I would be like, Totally, I guess. And then <laughs> at, I think it was the first year of Beer Wars. And I don't remember if I've told this story before or okay. not, but I was judging the historical beer category, which ended up just being all Gosas because Gosa is still in, at least with these guidelines, Gosa is still considered a historical beer. And it was all kettle sours. And Mm. So Rachel <laughs> said with uh, when it comes to beer styles, a lot of times lactobacillus is used in conjunction with bread, with pediococcus. Uh, you, you'll do a blend of soury microbes. Uh, but Berliner Weiss, Gosa and Lichtenhainer are those styles rely exclusively on lactobacillus for their primary soury microbe. And since so many brewers will use kettle souring as a way to get that lactobacillus flavor in there. Lactobacillus, if you were not careful, and Rachel, you might be able to explain this to me because I've never been quite clear exactly what happens that lactobacillus would produce so much butyric acid. But after I had to have sample 20, or I guess it wasn't 20, it was probably like 12 kettle sour goses, I knew what butyric acid tasted yeah. like and like it was like when your parents catch you smoking and they make you smoke the whole pack of cigarettes like I finally picked up on butyric acid in like the first or second beer and then had like 10 more beers to drink and they were all kettle soured not well and all <laughs> had butyric acid so now like I, I get it universe what butyric <laughs> acid tastes like <laughs> yeah a lot of so this is a weird thing, and it sounds a little contradicting to like what a lot of brewers learn. So you're, what you when you make sour when you make a lactobacillus beer, what you learn to do is to purge that kettle with CO2 um, before you seal everything up and try to get the oxygen out, and then you purge it with CO2. You totally like wrap up your kettle, like seal it to the best you can, so oxygen is not getting in there. Right. Um. So. CO2 encourages butyric acid formation in a lactobacillus beer, which okay. is 
sounds awful because we add CO2. Now, now that can happen if the temperature of the wart gets low enough. Like that's what I thought the issue was the temperature got too low. It is. Yeah. And, and like now, now you have a bed of CO2 on top, which is fine if your temperature stays hot, but it could encourage zeputeric acid production. Um, if your wart drops below 80, maybe 75. Um, however, I had listened, you were there with me actually in the white labs class mm-hmm. and the, the had the speaker, Andrew Turner from mystery brewery. And he was telling us his, his experiment experiments that he's done with not purging his tanks with CO2 and just leaving it and letting like oxygen, you know, just be as it be as it is like you still seal it up, but not like worry about it. Right. And, um, so the reasons brewers put the CO2 layer on top is to prevent any sort of like airborne bacteria or particles or anything from falling into the, the wart. Provides like a nice little positive pressure where things can't fall in. However, if your wart gets too low, CO2 can encourage butyric acid. And I think I bet you that happens a lot, especially with a five gallon, maybe 10 gallon batch on a homebrew scale that like one that's going to get cold a lot quicker than a whole big ton that's like a three barrel vessel and two they probably don't have or they might not even be thinking like a way to like if this wart is getting too cold put a little heat on it you know like warm it up that might not happen um so there i can see why a lot of homebrew batches are are maybe getting too cold and have a lot of butyric acid formation right well these were this was professional so i can see that too (laughs) yeah you know you know how i feel about no, uh, judging beer uh, in commercial competitions. <laughs> homebrew, pressure, homebrew competition judging is considerably always better of an experience than, com- <laughs> than judging commercial brews. I totally agree. Um, but with the the CO2, so I meant to mention this at the beginning when we were talking about good resources. Escarpment Labs has done a couple of uh, webinars on lactobacillus and they just had one a couple weeks ago that I watched that's called quick souring with lactose so it's kettle souring and like best practices for doing that so that is um, escarpment labs is available for free on YouTube and they do a fantastic job of giving you very scientific information in a very non-scientific yes. way, or I say non-scientific, I can understand, Easy what, to understand. what it is. Yes. yes. Yeah. But one of the things they talk about is bubbling CO2 through your wart as you're souring it um, with the lactobacillus. And one of the reasons why they say to do that is because, um, so lactobacillus is, was known as an aerotolerant anaerobe. So Aero meaning aero tolerant meaning that it can tolerate it doesn't require yeah it doesn't require oxygen but it's not yeah. harmed yes by it but lactobacillus likes to work at the bottom of the kettle because that's where the less oxygen is and so if you're kind of trying to taste your wart or if you're sampling your wart to see if your pH has dropped it's not the very best to take your pH sample from the top because the no. lactobacillus will take longer. So if you're bubbling CO2 through your wart, you're kind of evenly distributing. You know, if you took a pH sample from the top of your kettle and one from the bottom of your kettle, you would have two very different pH readings. Like bu- like bubbling the CO2 the whole time that you're souring it? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And um, that does make sense, though, be- ju- 
because of the nature of the system that I've always brewed a sour beer on, whether it's like here or Noda, you naturally take the samples from the bottom. Uh-huh. So I've never thought about it as being like, yeah. a, oh, wait, why is this so much lower on the top versus the bottom? Because I've never taken a top sample. And my sample at the bottom was always fine. So why, why you know, yeah. why keep sampling? So that's a right, good point. Right. And that's, yeah, and I think that's interesting because to me, I think on a homebrew scale, you would probably be more likely to be taking the sample from the top just because you yeah. have a kettle. Exactly. And you, I mean, you can, you know, you can always run off from the bottom, but I don't think that. It just depends that, how you're set up too. Right, exactly. And uh, I was going to have another point. I can't think of it now. It probably wasn't that good. But, <laughs> no, it's, it is an interesting point. Well, I was trying to think. Oh, yeah, I guess we should uh, clarify that we are talking about, like, kettle souring, um, yes. souring the wort, which you can do this process in the mash if you want. Like, you don't have to separate. Um, like, when I worked at Noda and we did, um, you know, there's Women's International Brew Day every year. So, Alexis, Alexis, Alexis. Alexia. Alexa. 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 Alexa at Legion, she worked, She was a brewer at Legion Brewing at the time, and this was, I don't know, 2016, oh, 17? I was going to say, I have a story about this, but you go ahead. So we both did a Goza, and at our, we both made it at our place and her place, and she, we were going to, it was the same recipe, except she did kettle sour and I did mash sour, and it was really interesting just to do both, like just to, just to see. I couldn't tell you if it made a difference in the taste. Really right. couldn't. We also added cucumber to my version, and she added hibiscus to hers. So, like, really couldn't tell you. But right, uh, right. it was such a pain in the ass to do mashed sour. <laughs> oh my god! Especially. So how I, do you do a how do you do a mashed sour? So we mashed in normal mash, yeah. and then, and this is a 15 barrel system too. So then we hooked up some hoses so we were able to run a recirculation through the heat exchanger. Okay. And we're, th- we're talking about wort and grain, like not just wort. So, right. so it worked out. Like we did that. It took a while. So I basically had this big hose coming out of the bottom of the tank, going into heat exchanger, coming out with a hose. I was just like holding, like letting it like, go back <laughs> into the top of the manway of the tank. Yeah. So to cool the wort down from basically once, you know, 50 to or 60, whatever, to like 120, 115. And then um, we just took a bag of unmilled grain and threw it in there okay. and left it and left it for two days. <sighs> Do you know how awful it is to go back and try to restir that after a weekend yeah. of just sitting in there? And we're not we're not talking like one hand in a five gallon pot. We're talking right. like rakes in this 15 thing, you know. So but it worked out. It was annoying, but it worked out. And um, it's just fun. It's just a, different ways to do it. And they both yielded great beer. Um, yeah. Kettle souring is a lot easier. So I highly recommend that. But you can do both. Yeah. So, now tell your story. Yes, I have to tell you. <laughs> I when So we moved back to Charlotte in 2015. And that was right around the time we moved back was when I decided I was going to start doing Cicerone stuff. And I also, we joined our local homebrew club and... I signed up to be the VP of social. So one of the things we did every year was the wart share with Noda. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you would 
sign up. I think it was like $25 for five gallons. And all of that money was donated to, I think it was typically to the men's shelter of Charlotte, but you would show up and you could do the brew day at the brewery and, you know, quote unquote, help brew. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we're all like, we're homebrewers. So we got this, Chad, you can just go sit down. <laughs> we know everything, but we had it limited to, I think it was like, I don't know, 20 people. And we were there for the, that for that brew day. And I knew I had not met you yet, but I knew that there was another certified Cicerone in <laughs> Charlotte. Her name was Rachel. She worked at Noda. Were you and certified? yes, I was certified. Yeah. So yeah, kind yeah, of the same thing. I'm like, this girl. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> who does this bitch think she is doing is the same the, thing I'm doing? <laughs> is that the day I, ca- I came in to do cucumbers for the, uh... yes. Yes. So we were there and we're, you know, we're in the, um, back in the brew house. And I mean, as, as usual at things like this, I'm the only woman Yeah. and <laughs> everybody, like I got there and Chad was like, Oh, are you here for the, the Charlotte beer babes thing? Because you'd also invited in the, the women's yeah. beer group to help like peel the cucumbers or do yeah. something with the cucumbers. Pick and I was like, no, I'm, I'm here for the brew day. And then as like, as the brew day goes in, like, I remember you walking in and walking to the back and like all of the other, or I shouldn't say other, but the, like the beer babe show up to help. And almost every single one of the men was like, Oh, is that, are you going to go help with that? Is that what you're here to do? And I was like, no, I like, I don't. I don't have to go join the group of women who's here doing something completely unrelated to what we're doing. Exactly. What the fuck? Yeah. But it was just like, oh, well, do you need to go over there? It's like, no. No, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But I remember that was like the first time I saw you. I was like, okay, okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, now I know who she is. I mean, and not like. Uh, but uh, keep your enemies closer. <laughs> Start a podcast with her. Yes. <laughs> I will work at her future brewery and <laughs> know her closer. But yeah, I, but I do remember both of those beers because I want to say I went to the release because it was Girls Go So Wild, right? Yeah. Girls I, I went to the release at uh, Noda. Yeah. Right. It was a very good beer. It was very good. I can really taste the mash souring. Yeah. (laughs) I worked really hard on that, on that flavor. (laughs) So another thing about lactobacillus that we haven't hit on is that it's very hop intolerant. Yes. So these beers, these, when you're doing them, have very low IBU. Goza is like, I'm trying to think of the vital statistic according Um, to Goza is five to eight. Seven, I thought it was seven to twelve. Maybe it is five to eight. No, that, I think that's Berliner. Berliner Weiss might be five to eight. It's very low. Yes. So if you want really good lactobacillus activity, you need to keep your IBUs at like five and yeah. probably no yeah. more. So yeah, you're right. I do have in my notes. Um, like Mimosa like Goza is seven IBUs. Mimosa Goza. And, and I, I I guess I never made this connection, but when I was reading about lactobacillus. I, when they say like 
brewers started using hops because it helped preserve the beer. It was a good preservative. It's specifically they started using it to inhibit lactobacillus. Ah, uh, yes. And, you know, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect but sense. I had never, never made that connection. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense. I guess not everybody wanted that flavor when that's all you drink. <laughs> you can finally get rid of it. <laughs> yes, but yeah, but that's why uh, the like Belgian brewers use aged hops in spontaneous yeah. fermented beer is that's a way that they can control that lactobacillus uh, development and also so that way it doesn't lower the pH too fast yeah. before other microbes can get in and survive. And also lactobacillus is will is very bad at producing the colide proteins that head formation needs right. for beer so it's a very bad head um it's not yeah. like a fault of the brewer and a lot of times it tastes a little bit like diacetyl it has like a slickness character in the mouthfeel yeah. when you drink it i actually had someone one time um who thinks he knows a lot about beer but <laughs> he was like he's like i get diacetyl in this mimosa goza and I was like, really? Because it's a lactobacillus beer, and like I just won a silver medal for it at GABF. <laughs> right. So yeah, and lactobacillus doesn't produce diacetyl. It doesn't produce diacetyl. It just will has a little bit of a sleek mouthfeel, which yeah. can remind you of diacetyl. But you're right; it does not produce diacetyl. Right. Like Pediococcus like, does, yes. and Pediococcus we'll talk about Pediococcus in a, a different episode. Yeah. 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 But um, I did in that um, kettle souring, the escarpment labs, they talked about if you pre-acidify your wort down to like below, a little bit below four before you add your lactobacillus, that that can also help increase the head retention later. Ooh. Yeah. So if you like pre-acidify around, I think to around like four or just below four, then you can also inhibit like E. coli, clostridium. And but you would you would want to pre-acidify with like malt or water salts or something, right? Not yeah. like lactic acid, because right. that is not the point. Okay, cool. Right, right. I like that. Yeah, and so when we're talking about what kinds of flavors lactobacillus can um, can contribute, yes, so we have two general categories of lactobacillus, right? So we have the homofermentative and the heterofermentative. Mm -hmm. So if you have homofermentative, that is only going to make lactic acid. So if you want just lactic acid, get a homofermentative strain. If you want other flavors, then you might also consider doing a heterofermentative strain, which is going to give you lactic acid, Acetic, it will also produce a little bit of CO2 and ethanol, and it may also, okay, so I do have this in my notes, heterofermentative strains may also produce diacetyl, mm -hmm. uh, but they will also do acetic, isovaleric, and isobutyric. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my notes, and it looks like this lactobacillus delbrecki string, uh -huh. like, Ends at a pH of 4.4. Homolactic strain. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Everything yeah, else is know. like 3.2, 3.3, 3 3.8. But Brevis is the most common type that brewers right. use, right? Yes, and it's also the most hop tolerant. And I have no idea what's on the grain. 
not yeah that's interesting not I feel like, <laughs> yeah I feel like we could probably look that up but if it's I mean if most brewers are using Brevis or that's the most common it's the most hop tolerant then I have to assume that that's what is on grain right yeah I mean I could be wrong but if that's what you know people have been using to lower the pH and you're getting replicable uh results then I would say yeah it would be Brevis yeah I really don't know what type of pitching rate I even do with the grain because I do like 25 pounds in my three barrel batch and yeah, I know one of the bag. One of the things they um, talked about in that webinar that I would really, really like to try, I think sounds super interesting, is doing a dry hopped sour. So using lactobacillus to kettle sour and then uh, bringing it to a boil, you know, hopping it to hopping it high enough. Well, bringing it to a boil, letting it and then uh, fermenting it with a kvike yeast and yeah. dry hopping to end the lactobacillus development. So you could have, like, in theory, you like could a have dry. a dry hopped kettle sour ready in three days because the kvike yeast ferments so fast. Yeah. And I think that, that's, that to me sounds like a really cool experiment to try. Yeah. I don't ever need beer that fast. But <laughs> <laughs> no, that kvike yeast, people love to try it just to see – I think I think people like to try it just to see how fast they can get their stuff to ferment. Like it's a yeah. game. <laughs> and well, I mean, we we brewed with it that time I made the um, smoked amber. Yeah. At Pilot, and I remember uh, Josh sending me a picture of the yeast starters, and he was like, "We had to turn the stir plates off because like it yeah. started like throwing a, a Krausen <laughs> and like started blowing off from the Erlenmeyer flask, and that yeah. like." The Kvike yeast is just, like, yeast anyway, particularly I feel like if you're a home brewer and you just have, like, clear glass carboys, yeast is one of the most gratifying things to watch. But, like, Kvike yeast is the most gratifying <laughs> because it just, like, it starts immediately. It's, you know, it, like, the temperature goes up. It, like, you immediately see action. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I always love when the beer starts to, like, when you need to actually get a blow-off tube. For homebrewers, and I guess on a professional scale, that's just when you've got like the the buckets start going crazy. Yeah, it's not it's not fun because it just makes a mess, <laughs> and you're like you're like you're like yeast. You need to be in the tank to work, not out here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One time though, we did like walk in, and it's not uncommon for, like if we just brew the day or day before to like smell beer because it's like blowing off over in the on the floor from the blow bucket. So I was like, oh, got a beer thing to clean up. And I turned on the light, and the whole brewery is, like, covered in hops <laughs> and yeast. Like, like the whole thing. And I was like, what the fuck? The, it, I think it was a repitch of the yeast, so it might have been, like, a little bit more yeast than I actually need it. But it, it got so active, and it was an IPA, that the hops clogged up the spray ball and clogged up the release. And it became under so much pressure that the manway door started to bulge and like two barrels of beer were lost, like overnight, just like squirting out an explosion style, just fucking two barrels of beer just overnight. Like it was oh everywhere. God. And, you know, we have a drain. So it wasn't like a pool of it. 
because everything had drained, but it was just like this leftover like splatter. And you're just like, so, and and then we had to go in like, oh shit mode because we couldn't like release the pressure. We couldn't like, it was going to keep happening. So I had to like flip a whole tank. Like I had to like, luckily I had a dirty tank. So I cleaned it and I just transferred over the whole beer, everything, the yeast and everything and just like let it finish in there. Yeah. And then by the time we were actually, like, done with it and got the final product, we only had, like, three and a half, four barrels of beer out of the six-barrel six batch. Oh like, I was like, holy shit. Like, thank God no one got hurt or this thing didn't, like, implode. It was like, oh, my God. Thank God we didn't end up on Worst Beer Blog. Yeah. Well, <laughs> to do that, you have to send them a video. <laughs> right. That's true. Yes. Post a video. <laughs> That's true. So yeah, we didn't really um, touch on it, but I think we're probably wrapping up anyway um, with what can happen on you know the cold side, just in terms of dirty draft lines. Or oh, yeah. one yeah. thing I remember reading, I've I have been guilty of doing this, not when I'm transferring into a fermenter. But if, you know, I'm trying to, like, prime one of our pumps or something, sucking on the tube <laughs> to, like, to get it to, you know, to, like, pull yeah. out, which usually is being done in terms of having, like, PBW <laughs> water or star sand or something. So it's going to be sanitized anyway. But that is something if you are a home brewer, don't, and you're transferring your finished wort or anything that's not going to be. <laughs> Uh, sanitize again don't use your mouth to start that suction <laughs> on your start you know get it started going totally on your hose I've totally done that before but our, again since we have so much lact- lactobacillus on us and our mouths are probably one of the highest concentrations if you do something like that and then your finished beer gets in contact with it you could very likely end up with a lactobacillus infection yeah in your beer yeah yeah don't do that yeah. <laughs> well, and there was um, one day in the brewery, I was talking to our head brewer and asked him a question and he had just been back in the mill room. And he was like, I'd asked him something that had to do with our, fer- like our fermenters or something. And he was like, I've just been handling a lot of grain. I'm not walking anywhere near our fermenters. Like yeah. you can, I can stand here and like point you to where to go and you can get it, Yeah. but I'm covered in lactobacillus right now. I'm not getting anywhere near our fermenters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's straight. Not like here where we're just like super small and you're just throwing in the bags of pre-milled grain. <laughs> Woo! That's storm everywhere. No, it's actually a thing because we did have an infection one time. I'm pretty sure it's because a blackberry got left in the spray bowl, but because of that, like, I have this rule. It's like yeast does not get pitched until after the second mashing and everything has been sprayed down. And yeah. it, and if it's a pure pitch that needs to go into the yeast brink, the pure pitch lives in the office until that time. And then it comes out and right. it's put in the yeast brink after everything's been sprayed down. So it is a thing you got to you got to worry about. You can't just go touching everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess you need to go brew. I need to go do work. Yeah. And we yes. will. That's what I need to do. Yeah. Agreed. We will uh, wrap up our lactobacillus episode and we will um, probably do pediococcus, Britannomyces in the next couple of episodes. Again, kind of making a little suite of 
episodes. So if somebody later on is interested in wild and sour beers or interested in what we have to say about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So just real quick, we just released our lager beer um, or brief history of lager. I was looking at the new brewing lager beer book when I said that um, okay. we just released that this week. And it's funny because one of my friends DM'd me and was like, well, I like, I just got this book. So I guess I'll wait to listen to the episode. <laughs> I was like, like, there's not spoilers in yeah. it. <laughs> you know how, how lager beer so, works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, first of all, we didn't even get to like the second half of the book. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, I mean, you, you totally can wait. And somebody else had said that too, I think on our Instagram that I just got this book. So I guess I'll wait to listen. And I was like, no, re like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I promise it's just the two of us like being idiots and like yeah. fangirling over lager history. If you so wait, we... that's fine too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yes, uh, this will wrap up our lactobacillus episode. And thank you everyone for listening. We've gotten some really nice love lately on social media and that's been very nice. If you don't mind and have a couple minutes, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Um, if it's going to be good reviews, if it's bad reviews, yeah. as always, tell it to Untapped. Yeah, seriously. And uh, yeah, I guess that will be it. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye to you, too. And goodbye to you as See you well. Later. And a good day to you. This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round.